by Rebecca Spencer. from almost the halfway line. Welcome back to In 17 Women, the only podcast exclusively devoted to covering Tottenham Hotspur women. I'm Caroline, and I'm here with my co-host, Abby, Rachel, and Sean. How are y'all doing today? Getting back into the world after a week off is uh, is never fun, and then a dash to Liverpool for uh, a 15-hour day was fun yesterday, and uh, last minute, well, we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, you know, re- re- reintegrating myself into the world a little, I think. Yeah, I feel that. You know, those instruments that like you swing around and they make like this sort of like raspy clicking noise. That's what my voice sounded like when I woke up today. Uh, so very happy that that's not still happening, but also, you know, suffering. I'm just happy that we're in spring now and there's some sunshine. So you know, small pleasures. Yeah, there's there's some positive things to take out of the season. Well, we talked last week about how a lot of the same issues that we saw under Rianne Skinner are still playing out under Vicky Jepsen's interim management. And I think that this latest loss against Everton just served as further confirmation. So we're going to get into all of it today. Uh, talk about some of the persistent errors in defense, the perplexing substitutions. But let's start with the team selection first, because I think that is where a lot of the problems really began. So we lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation and only had one change to the lineup from the previous match against Arsenal. Um, And for the bench, we had Jessica Naz coming back into the match day squad for the first time since she went down with that injury in the reverse Everton fixture back in December. Um, And as a result, Chioma Ubagagu was dropped from the squad. So for our starting 11, Becky Spencer got her first start in goal since mid-December, which was actually in that same game against Everton at Brisbane Road when Jess had her injury and we lost nil to three. The back four was unchanged from the previous game. So we had Karis Harrop, Molly Bartrip, Amy Turner, and Ash Neville as our defensive line. Angrad James and Evelina Sumanen retained their spots in the midfield as well. And Mana Iwabuchi replaced Drew Spence for the central attacking midfield role, while Celine Bizet and Rosella Ayan swapped sides on the wings from the previous game. So in this one, Celine was on the left and Roz on the right. And as we all expected, Beth England started at striker. So this is going to be a leading question, but just how frustrated were y'all to see the back four again and no personnel changes except for Mana coming in for Drew? Well, we were surprised to see Becky, um, which was the other change, of course. Becky and goal, um, having in previous seasons been fairly evenly split between goalkeeping duties with Tinney. All of a sudden this season, Tinney had been in goal and then Becky was in goal for, with no warning. So that was strange and made us all a little less confident at certain times, I think, just because of Becky's um, propensity to try and dribble the ball and mess about with it and sometimes lose the ball in that circumstance. So um, I think we were a little bit less happy in that regard. Not a lot less happy. We all like Becky, but it did make us nervous at points. Um, I think Drew coming out was interesting from a Ros point of view because I think Drew makes Ros better. And I do think we saw in that game actually later on that Ros was 
not as good as she had been in the last couple of games. Um, I, I'm not saying that Drew should have started because Drew had a, not a great game last game, but it's an interesting relationship that they've got there. Um, and I think that does have a bearing on on how they're playing and swapping um, Celine uh, over as well also has an impact with her with the way she plays with Ash and having spoke to Ash we know that Ash enjoys that interplay with Celine and she didn't get that chance in this game so there was although there wasn't a great deal of change the changes that there were weren't necessarily ones that had me jumping for joy um, and that back four again I think yeah it, I guess the argument could be that they're getting used to a back four now but I'm not sure the results would <laughs> support that statement yeah, I mean, I think we have in the past played a back four against some of the lower teams and a back three against the sort of tougher teams. But obviously we played a back three for a while and now we seem to have just gone back to a back four without it varying. So there doesn't seem to be a systematic logic for why it's one or the other. And as you said, the back four hasn't been very um, coordinated over the last few games and it's felt quite gappy. I definitely think that one of the issues was the side. Like I think that Ash and Roz combine really badly. So I think having them on the same side is a bad idea. And I guess I'm jumping forward a bit, but I've seen this in other games. And then again, in this game, what you see is Roz is somebody who likes the ball to be... Ash plays likes a one-two, which she does great with Celine, and she can play like she overlapping runs and things like that. That isn't how Roz plays. Roz really just wants the ball and to run with it. And she will often run like ahead of a couple of defenders, making it a harder pass. But what she wants is a sort of pass over the top or to feet so that she can run onto it. And that isn't the thing that Ash, I mean, Ash can do that, but that isn't really her niche. And so it seems like it suppresses both of their games. And you see, and I think that it means that there's a lot of missed passes between the two of them on that side. And that is a problem. And I think playing them on the same side over and over again, you keep on seeing the same problem. And I would like to see that change, but that isn't a kind of team selection thing. I guess for team selection as well, it, it was a little bit sur- surprising to see Angarad and Evelina as the um, defensive midfield pairing. In the past, we've either had Drew in there or... Um, I guess Drew as the number 10 and Manor out on the wing. So obviously at this point, there's this decision that Roz deserves her place on the wing and Celine gets to start. Um, I have to say, I don't think either Celine or Roz had great games. So there's something going on. The fact that we've got a lot of wingers and we're not playing them in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually awake when the lineup dropped because I've been waking up coughing. Uh, This is like a recurring theme. I can't help but talk about it. It's been happening for like a month. And so I was kind of just like sitting there awake, being upset and grumpy. And then I saw the lineup and I was like, come on, man, like really? Um, So I was not very happy about it. And I think like you guys kind of covered my main points. But the one thing I would say is like in a meta sense, it just feels like there's constantly been all these like just minor little changes um, that don't really make a ton of sense. And I don't understand what these changes are trying to fix when there are like very clear and obvious problems in our game that need to be fixed. It's like, why are we, why are we making these little tweaks that fix problems that I don't even understand what they are? So that's kind of how I've just been feeling about it. 
Yeah. And thank you, Sean, for noting that it was actually two changes to the lineup with Becky coming in. I'm so used to Tenny starting now that I completely forgot to note that. (laughs) And I should also note that Karis Hara, with her start in this game, surpassed Jilly Flaherty and Kate Longhurst for the all-time WSL appearances record. Um, And since Kate Longhurst did not feature for West Ham this weekend, she holds that record on her own for now. So we'll see if she can hold on to that through the end of the season as well. Uh, But let's move on to the first half now. We had some pretty decent possession in the first few minutes, but ended up conceding an early goal in the fourth minute. Shortly after an Everton throw-in, Nicolene Sorensen ran unmarked into space in the middle of the 18-yard box and telegraphed to Izzy Christensen exactly where she wanted the pass. Uh, Sorensen was able to beat Becky Spencer at her near post for the goal. And to me, it had the feel of a training ground set piece routine. And unfortunately, Spurs didn't have an answer for it. So let's dissect what went wrong with this first conceded goal. I would say it was early and we felt a little bit at sixes and sevens, but on the other hand, the other goal we conceded was really late. Um, but it did feel like the team wasn't in a rhythm yet and there was a lot of things that went wrong. I think a, some of it was the communication between Evelina, Celine and Molly, who were the three players who were sort of guarding, I guess, like the right-hand side of the box is the only way I can describe it probably. So you had um, Evelina was essentially faced left with two players. And as she was going after one, Celine didn't bother coming back for the other. And Molly, who was um, on the other side of the box to some extent, was close to Amy. And so they were both combining to guard another player. And so there was there was just an overload that wasn't being dealt with. And there wasn't enough communication at that point. So I think it's it's about, again, it's like again and again, we're talking about the ways in which the defensive midfield players come back and other players are communicating with our defensive players is, I think, a lot of the issue that we pointed to this season. And that's, I would say, some of the problem was. And then, you know, we, we've said before that the partnership of Molly and Amy is not the partnership of Molly and Shalina. And probably they needed a bit of communication if Amy said, I've got this and Molly could have left, you know, quicker to come over and help. It's interesting. I feel like I said this maybe eight or 10 games ago under Rianne. To me, getting done up by a sort of like set piece routine effectively is like a a coaching issue, not a personnel issue, because the coach should have given those players a plan to deal with stuff like that happening. And it was the case 10 games ago. And it's the kind of thing, it it is not hard to set up a defense that can deal with that. I know because my JV lacrosse team did it back in like 2009. You know what I mean? And if we could learn it in like two or three practices, there's no excuse for them not being able to set something like this up. And um, it's the kind of thing where if your manager gets sacked and it was a problem, you'd like to see the new manager making a change and addressing that kind of like what happens when players are like making runs and trying to confuse the defense. This should be something that we've addressed by now. And I don't know if it was because it was just earlier in the game. Uh, I do feel like it's been happening less. So I don't know if it was just like, maybe we just hadn't clicked into gear yet, but I'd still expect that to be better. It felt like you know, the, the Everton players had an awful lot of space and the players were slow to, to close them down, you know, not right until the last minute. So 
just awareness of where the players are and and who's around you and um it was early in the game and you know but when you're in this position that we're in now in the league you've got to be turned on from the, when the whistle goes because things like that will happen and if we're serious about maintaining our position as a, a super league club then we need to be serious about it and concentrated on it from the beginning definitely and i think it's a good point from abby too that the fact that we're not seeing improvement with these types of scenarios over the season is a big concern. But the good news is that we did start to grow into the game after this point and started to put together some decent attacks, one of which culminated in a nicely worked goal in the 22nd minute for Evelina Simonen. This was her first goal in WSL competition for the club. So Molly Bartrip got the move started by getting her head up on the halfway line and sending a long through ball to the left wing for Beth England to run onto. Beth then put in a clean cross right to the edge of the box, which Evelina did not hesitate to strike. Both the assist and the shot were first touches, so it was nice to see the team playing with some urgency in that moment and not dawdling on the ball as we too often see. And it also marked Beth's first assist with Spurs, uh, which was a positive. So thoughts on Evelina's goal? I mean, in the moment, what a fantastic strike you know great goal well worked looking back at it I, it does it did strike me how the combination of what we said last week seemed to have worked Molly getting her head up and playing those balls which we said she has more of a chance to do if it's a back three but she got the the one opportunity to do that in this game and it worked finding something else for Beth to do rather than being in the box because when Beth's in the box she's got three players around her so she took the ball out and that confused the Everton players um and um and then a great, yeah, great pullback and strike from Evelina, who we've been saying we want to see more goals from because she has been scoring um, on international duty. So, yeah, fantastic goal and, you know, brought the spirits back up again, 1-1. And a draw was, you know, would have been acceptable, I think, in this in this game. So I think, you know, everybody was, it's good to see a well-worked goal. They've obviously been working on those kind of setups that you can see in, uh, in warm-up. And then working on those kind of things and great to see that coming off and hoping that that would then transition into more confidence, uh, uh, which didn't necessarily happen. But as a one off goal, fantastic. I think one of the things I mean, I like a lot of what Sean said. I totally agree with. I mean, we've definitely been saying the midfield's a problem. Let's just skip it. So this was one of those examples of how you skip the midfield by going from sort of Molly back up to Beth in this case. I also thought it was really interesting and it made me think is that, you know, Beth, it was a cross, but she pulled the ball back. And we've seen so many crosses from other players which have just gone so close to the goalkeeper that they've just ended by the goalkeeper taping them, taking them. And this was a cross that, as you said, Caroline, it went to the edge of the box. And so Evelina could come running onto it and there was space. And I really hope that other players look at that and think about ways in which they can cross the ball into more intelligent positions, potentially. And, you know, some of it was skill, some of it was luck, all of those other things. It's not going to happen every time. But there was a design there as well in terms of what spaces you use when you are attacking. And I thought that was that showed a big improvement on what we were seeing. And we saw some bad crosses from Spurs at other points in the game. And so this shows you, if you're thinking about where to cross the ball, 
you can do something much better. And obviously, Evelina, fantastic. She did have a, you know, there weren't a lot of players who had a great game. I think Evelina had a good game, not just in terms of scoring, um, creating opportunities and pushing the ball forward at various points, but also was tackling and doing her job defensively. So it was nice to see that. Yeah, like I was I was going to start off what I was saying with like, I'll be positive for a minute. It, it was, I thought it was a great I, it was a great goal. Uh, it was a great strike by Evelina, um, first and foremost. But I think what you said about there was a design there was spot on. Because to me, one of the positives I'd take away is maybe there are some attacking patterns being discussed here. And maybe that goal is an indicator that maybe we're having more patterns in attacking play. Now, they're not coming off as much as we'd like them to. But if I had to take a positive away, I would say maybe, maybe there was, maybe there's some patterns. Yeah. And it was nice to see, I think Molly showing off more of her passing range in this game. I think almost at at times this season, it's just been like all hands on deck defensively. So she's not really gotten to showcase that side of her game, but you know, great contribution to the buildup for this goal for sure. Uh, We had another big opportunity where we could have taken the lead in the 40th minute and grad James passed to Celine Bazette with lots of space in the box to shoot. And Celine's shot looked tame enough for Everton's keeper, Courtney Brosnan to collect easily, but she fumbled the save and nearly let the ball dribble through her legs and over the line. It was kind of difficult, at least from the FA player perspective to see just how close it was to actually crossing the line. Um, and Mana Iwaguchi did ask the question of the line official, but no goal was given. So we ended up entering the half level at 1-1, despite having a few more chances to score. Were we feeling optimistic as we headed into the break um, after seeing, you know, a little bit more momentum towards the end of that half? I was, yeah. I it felt like, you know, if you looked at the sort of patterns of play, we'd started badly, but we've it felt like we were more into the game. It felt like we were, there was more coherence than there had been and at least some, you know, logic to the passing, people were moving. It wasn't great. We were still, you know, losing a lot of balls and not finding players, but felt like you could be optimistic. And I would say like I, the, the goal that did or didn't cross the line was at the other end from us. So we really had no idea at the time. Today, when I was just looking at the sort of recap, I tried putting my ruler up to the FA player to try and work it out. I was like, it looks like it's over the line. I don't know. I mean, it it was definitely really close. And there were quite a few players with their hands in the air waving about it at the time. Um, but hey, you can't go back in time and give a goal. So there's that. But yeah, I definitely felt like there felt like there was some momentum and the hope was that there would be changes at halftime that created new problems so that when we came out after halftime, Everton would be, you know, caught unawares that you'd bring on fresh players, that you would keep challenging them. And so it was a kind of hope that was wedded to the idea that there would be changes of some sort and that there would be ideas about what to do next. I mean, like I said, from the perspective of end result, I was I would have been happy with a draw. So getting back into it and being level was good news from from my perspective. I I thought the teams were fairly even in terms of of play, so it seems 
you know, it didn't seem unlikely that we would continue in that fashion. Um, obviously, the game at the same ground last season was um, a little bit of a, a, a crazy one with with the, the way it played out in the end. Um, and it could have gone that way as the teams were fairly even. So I think I was pretty all right with how things were. Um, and yeah, um, it was the sun was starting to shine and we were enjoying our football for, uh, you know, stood in the corner there. So a little bit of... Uh, little bit of optimism yeah I had like somewhat mixed feelings on it because on one hand I definitely felt like Everton were there for the taking but I just like after all this I I have to admit I was lacking confidence that we had the tools to do the taking well whereas there were signs of life in most of that first half I personally thought that the second half was very low on action um, particularly until some of the later substitutions but it, it could have just been that it was a very early kickoff for me and I was struggling to focus at times. Um, but it was hard not to feel disappointed that we couldn't carry that momentum from the first half into the second. We didn't have any subs at halftime, but Drew came on for Mana in the 53rd minute. Did y'all think that her coming in for Mana had an effect on our control of the game? Because I I kind of felt like we did. Do you want to expand on what you felt we did so we can respond? In which direction? Well, I just, I did not think that Drew was as involved as Mana had been. And I think, you know, we've talked in previous episodes about the midfield kind of going missing at times. And I think Drew can sometimes be a big part of that because we know she is so kind of off and on with her involvement. But y'all can disagree. (laughs) I'm not sure. I I think I agree. I just, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what changed because I felt like there was just so little happening in that half in general that it, it's not that I don't agree. I think I do. I just, it's hard for me to make a concrete judgment one way or the other. Cause I was just like, you know, that meme that's like pokes first with a stick, do something like that. That was kind of me in that half. Well, and so, it could have been that it wasn't so much Drew's presence, just like the entire team kind of taking their foot off the brake. Like, I get that. So I think the what changed is that when Drew came on, and I wasn't sure if this was ex- exactly when she came on or a bit later, but I think it was when she came on. She then actually took Evelina's position and Evelina moved forward. So there was a little bit more. It was a triangular swap. It wasn't just a one-for-one swap. So what you saw then was Evelina and Beth playing Morissa too at the front and um, Drew coming in in the middle. Um, And so I liked the fact that this was an attempt to change things a little bit. So there was a, there seemed to be a, you know, an idea to push Evelina forward that she was combining well with Beth for the game but at the same time I guess what we saw then is that Drew isn't Evelina in terms of the sort of defensive midfield and so she both had more control there were times when she was doing things that were really interesting and clever but there were also times when she wasn't tackling as you know this in the ways that Evelina might in that defensive part yeah and it's like again to to Caroline's point and also to my point at the beginning of the episode it's like Drew isn't Evelina, but also Evelina isn't Mana. And so I like appreciate the like wanting to change stuff and fix problems. But it just seems to me that why are we making these like 
weird little tweaks that don't actually seem to fix the problems we have. And instead what we saw was, you know, as Caroline said, like a loss of control and a sort of like a, a change in the game for the worse. And it does please me when you've got certain people on the bench that you would push Evelina forward, really. I mean, you've got Kit sat there on the bench who's had hardly any time since she came back. You've got Nikki sat there on the bench. Um, so whatever your option in terms of goal scoring, you would think that one of those two would be more likely to get you a result in front of goal than Evelina and would then not lose you what moving Evelina out of that defensive position does. Um, I, I, I love Evelina and I think she's great and I love to see her scoring goals, but that is not her biggest... Um, thing for us her biggest thing for us is that defensive role that she can play with a little bit of additional pushing forward uh and I think when you've got Kit particularly but also Nikki sat on the bench there are other options for for a goal scoring opportunity that are more likely to result in the desired outcome yeah I guess Nikki saw Evelina score a goal and was like okay we're chucking you up there now (laughs) I mean, I guess, I I guess on the upside, I do think, you know, we, we were saying that it's a problem having just Beth as her, as the sole striker. And to the extent that this is trying to remedy that and take the sort of attention away from her or draw on that, you know, create new spaces. I'm not against the idea of having two up front. I think that that is a logical change. And to the extent that you're not going to change all of your players at once, I guess it's like, who do you, take off I don't think Mana was very involved in this game I also there was a lot of players who were not massively involved um so on the one hand yes in principle Mana has much more power to sort of control the game but that wasn't happening immensely in this game and she didn't have a lot of touches and wasn't you know she wasn't one of those games where you saw her sort of pulling the strings right Well, we did see a pretty explicitly attacking substitution next. We finally got to see Jess Naz make her return from injury, and she subbed in for Celine in the 77th minute. I felt like she was a sight for sore eyes and had some really bright moments, including drawing a foul on the edge of the box that should have been called as a free kick for Spurs, but was somehow given to Everton instead. Uh, So we can probably all agree that it was great to see Jess back out there on the pitch after such a long injury spell. But my question is, is Celine the player that you would have had her replace in that moment? I mean, yes, and like I think Celine didn't have a great game either. There was a lot of time when she was hardly having an impact. So she did have that shot. But, you know, a lot of our, I think our wingers were having a bad game, like both her and Roz. So my yes, and is I would have replaced Celine, but I would also have replaced Roz. And I don't know if what I would have done exactly in terms of uh, patterns, but, and we did later replace Roz right at the last minute, but I don't think, I mean, and I know that, yeah, Celine has a lot of talents, but again, it didn't feel like she was being integrated into the team in a way that exploited them. And partly maybe if we'd have swapped her side, so she was playing with Ash, that would have been better. But on the side that she was playing, I don't think she was, at her strongest and so I wasn't I didn't object to that as a substitution I just would have liked also to have seen Roz come off because she was also perhaps even more I mean I think what the issue was Celine wasn't getting much of the ball Roz was getting quite a lot of the ball and what she was doing with it wasn't great and so there were two different kinds of problems going on 
you know, and I also, you know, Jess came on and she had moments, but there were also times when she looked like she was too easily pushed off the ball. And so it's thinking through, I don't think our wings were working very well. And if that's where we're relying on our attack, we need to think it again. And I think with Jess, when she comes back from injury, we always kind of watch to see her reaction because there's two Jesses. Um, one is the one that's nervous about getting injured and worried and doesn't engage fully with those kind of tackles and those challenges. And there's another Jess that forgets about all of that and just goes and gets involved. And that is the Jess that we really, really love. I felt like she was closer to the second one coming on in this game. Uh, she was getting involved. She was looking. There were times when she was pushed off the ball a bit too easily, but it was her first game back in months. That's going to happen. Um, so I was optimistic about what we saw from Jess and it wasn't a lot of game time, but she she did well, I thought. Uh, and actually she was involved in the decisions that didn't go our way, that should have gone our way. Uh, and so actually could have been much, you know, if the if the decision from the referee had been correct in a couple of situations, she would have appeared to have been much more influential in the game than she was because the decisions went against her. So it was great to see her back and hopefully we'll get to see a bit more of her. I'm, as I say, a bit surprised to see how little we've seen of Kit in the recent few games and hoping that Jess won't be kind of sidelined in that same way. But yeah, I think um, it, we were we were thinking that maybe Ros would go off because we could see Jess getting ready and that Ros would be the one to come off because we do, you know, generally speaking... Celine can give us some more options, but I agree, Rachel, that neither of them were particularly good in this game. And when you've got a problem in your central midfield, if you then start not achieving things on the wings, and a lot of the time Ros was driving forward and didn't see Ash running down the wing. You know, she was looking into the box and not looking down the wing early on. And I think that stopped Ash from doing some running later on in the game until, so in the middle of the game, Ash wasn't doing quite as much running as she can do. Uh, and and that, again, I think causes problems because when Ash then started pushing forward again later on, we did start to see some good stuff. And early on again, we did see Ash making a few mistakes with, you know, with attempted crosses or shots, just not going anywhere near. But I think that's because she's not been having the opportunity to do those in recent weeks and they got better as the game went on. Um, and I would just have liked to, have, yes, maybe push Ash up and, and bring on Asmita, as we've been talking about, to deal with those wing problems rather than just trying to play, do, you know, keep keep going with what we had. Yeah. And I think like I could see it going either way. Um, and of course, like the game ended the way it did. So I'm inclined to be like, yeah, I don't know if bringing Celine off is the right choice. But I think it's 50 50 for me because it's like, do you want your two fast wingers, Roz and Jess, running at Everton's tired legs? Like, do you want to try changing it up? trying a different approach or do you want to make a more like for like substitution and take rods off and maybe switch sides, keep Celine's like creativity and spark on the field and try to get her more in the game. I think those are both fine approaches. Uh, but in the end, the one we picked didn't really have the desired effect. So I think for me looking back, I'm like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, but like nothing we can do about it now. Yeah. And for me, just Roz was just so far off. I think the quality that we had seen in some of the more recent games. So she just would have been my first choice to leave the game um, regardless of Celine who, you know, I think at least was, was taking her shots and getting some opportunities going. 
But like Sean alluded to, we did have other options on the bench like Nikola Karchevska, like Kit Graham. And Nikki ended up only coming in in the 89th minute. So she was basically just there for stoppage time. So are we still concerned about this relative lack of minutes for our younger players like Nikki and like Azmita? Massively concerned. I just enormously concerned. It's bad for the club in the long term. And like, why would any young player want to come to Spurs seeing that the really good ones we have don't play? And like, we've tried changing little things and keeping old players on. It's like, if the season's a wash, just play the young players. How are they going to get better? Like when you buy a young player, it's to invest in them. I just, I don't under, maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, but assuming there's not because we just have to assume there's not I just don't understand it yeah and we know that both of them are going off on international duty so they clearly are fit and Asmita was there we saw her warming up at various times after the game she came over and talked to like a friend or a family member and she seemed a bit you know didn't seem super happy and that seems really stupid. Uh, it, like Sean said, we've been saying for ages, if you have her on, it gives Ash an opportunity to go up the pitch. And that would be helpful at the moment, especially as some of our other wingers are not consistent. Nikki, you know, I mean, every single week I'm saying like, bring Nikki on, but <laughs> I'm just a stop record. But, you know, we saw Route 1. Like, it works. It worked this week. Nikki gives the opportunity to do that. Even in the minutes that she was there, she, you know, on throw-ins, on, you know, there were ball, there on, we've only got a few players who can bring the ball down really effectively if you are going to play long balls and go straight to an attack. Nikki's one of them. Ash is there, Beth, you know, Drew. It's our players who have really good ball skills and Nikki can do that. And she's got the capacity to make things difficult and create space for Beth. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be the whole game, but not just injury time. Right. And like another thing is, look who scored the winning goal for Everton. It was Aggie Beaver Jones, right? Who is a really promising England, young England international. And like Everton are showing how it can be done correctly. And our young players are just chilling on the bench, waiting their turn. Yeah. And I think the kind of most frustrating aspect of it is that with Vicky being so reluctant to play some of these players, we're having to have other players kind of filling in those roles where they're that's not their their skill set so the whole thing just feels kind of disjointed and you know also from the development perspective it's not good either but on the flip side I think it's probably fair to say that Everton's manager Brian Sorensen got his subs exactly right because it was two of them who found the winning goal for the Toffees Uh, deep into stoppage time Everton got possession off of a somewhat controversial throw-in call and worked the ball through our midfield with ease. Elise Stenovic sent a strong through ball to Aggie Beaver-Jones, who was able to evade Amy Turner and get her shot off. I think possibly Angerad and Molly's late runs into the box to try to get a block kind of unsighted Becky for this goal, but regardless, she was unable to stop Beaver-Jones' shot at the far corner. And to me, this felt like another instance of what has been a season-long trend of late lapses in concentration, and also just a lack of grit after a call that didn't go our way. So I, I just wanted to ask, because I know that throw-in decision happened right in front of the traveling Spurs fans. 
was that a bad call or did it even matter? Was it kind of just a, a nothing issue? In the moment, it certainly felt like a bad call. Um, and it's difficult to tell because obviously the camera was on the opposite side. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily get the same view of it again. But certainly in the moment, we felt that that was the wrong call. Uh, uh, and I know uh, Chris, who was there, who uh, was making a lot of noise uh, singing and, and um, as she does, certainly felt that was absolutely the wrong call uh, and was telling the referee so and telling her she'd be um, regretting that decision when she watched it back. So uh, it's uh, <laughs> um, we certainly felt in the, in the moment. And then obviously it went, you know, it was that change of possession right down by the Everton goal where we were stood um, and then from that straight away up and, and you know, into the goal. So it really did feel like um, it was kind of pivotal at that point. Um, and certainly when Ash came over to talk to us at the end, you know, that she was, you know, not happy about that and the foul decision as well, but but not happy about those decisions going against us. And it does seem to be this season we cannot catch a break. I mean, the funny thing was that it felt like we've done this a lot, but we actually haven't. And that's partly because we've hardly had any close games for ages. So we haven't dropped points at the crucial moments this season. That was last season's shtick. This season, we've just been losing by big margins or winning. You know, there's been a, there were a few games at the start of the season where we held on to a tight win, but we actually haven't suddenly lost anything at the death as pretty much all season. So, um, hey, it's a novel way to win, lose. Um, in the past, we've been going behind after scoring, like, very quickly. Um, so, I mean, part of me, I know that seems facetious, but this other part of me is like, well, we haven't actually done that sort of holding on to something in the final minutes. And it felt a little bit like the game management stuff wasn't there and because that's the moment when you need it. And Yes, we did it a little bit when we were holding on to a win against Leicester, but that's the only time that I can think of that we've needed to do much game management since like last September. So it's been a while and I don't know, it did feel like there were some very bad decisions being made about how you do that and what your priorities are, especially when we're a team that one point would have been massive for. Yeah, and it's like, so I was watching it on a delay, so I already knew what happened, but it, I remember looking up at around like 92 minutes, maybe 93 minutes, I think even, and seeing that we were like attacking like in Everton's like final third on the left. And I was like, just looking at the rest of the field going like, oh God, there's so much space there. Like, I feel like I would have been concerned about that in the moment too, but especially since like someone said this at the beginning gaps in the back line uh with the back four are have been a consistent problem I was just like oh god (laughs) yeah and then like I just have to say I know we've been really harsh on Amy Turner all season but like I really have to just say it again because I was watching her try to shepherd Aggie Beaver Jones like out of the box and her positioning was just all wrong like she just had no idea that she was like leaving her entire side open. She was almost like too vertical and she wasn't putting any pressure on. I I was like, at first I didn't even see that it was her. I was like, Oh God, like who let that happen? And, um, and then of course I watched it back and I was like, ah, yes, of course it was Amy. I, I just, 
it, it just looks like someone told her she was supposed to set up like that to shepherd players out, but that she doesn't actually understand like what she's supposed to be doing to do it. This is like turning it to too long of a rant, but I was just like, I was really frustrated. I've been frustrated. I continue to be frustrated. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, frustration is definitely the prevailing emotion (laughs) for this podcast. Uh, Well, the match ended two to one to Everton. And as a result, we fell to an 11th defeat in the last 12 WSL games. Not ideal. And even less ideal is that with Leicester beating Reading shortly after our game, the gap between Spurs and ninth place and the relegation spot is now just three points. So, uh, I mean, are we back to our panic stations with the relegation battle after this result? Or do you still think we're going to be safe? I think tentatively that we are going to be safe. It is not going to be pretty, but uh, I think that we're safe. Uh, I will say conceptually, I think we need to think of it as two points because Brighton have two games in hand and they're the one with nine points. Now they're the one at the bottom, but they have those two games in hand. Uh, It is really close at the bottom. And I still think we're the best of those four teams at the bottom, Brighton, Leicester, Reading, and Spurs. Uh, That said, it seems like disaster is following us around like a lost puppy these days. So we can't really, we can't really uh, put too much stake in that. Um, but I think we'll be fine. And I think like, I was expecting to check the numbers on 538 today and see that all four of those teams were like really evenly set for relegation percentages. And I checked and that was not the case. We actually by 538's numbers only have a 3% chance of being relegated. Uh, whereas I think it's now Lester and Reading who are the most likely, um, and Brighton's doing a little bit better than that, I think. Uh, and it's interesting, right? Because that, that was really surprising to me. And it really threw me for a loop because I was like feeling really doomer. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Jesse on Twitter pointed out that like we do have the best underlying numbers of all of those teams. And so we're like heavily favored to beat um, Brighton. And I can't remember the other one that we're going to play. Reading, Reading, maybe? Yeah, thanks. Um, Brighton and Reading in our remaining games that we have. <laughs> um but that we don't know what's, we don't actually know that we're going to win those games. Like uh, the vibes are bad. Things should go bad. Um, and I do also think that that 3% is, is quite low because I am pretty sure 538 factors player price and like squad price into their valuations of how good a team is at this point in the season. They don't factor it in super heavily, I think, because there's like enough games to get like good data on it. But, like, we still have, like, Beth England in our squad, and I think that's probably skewing numbers a bit. So even though it says 3%, I would pull that way back. Uh, I still feel like we'll be safe, but I'm only, like, very cautiously optimistic of it. And I'm kind of shocked by how large Lester's percentage is. Um, it, It kind of makes me wonder, like, does their model take into account the fact that they've been, you know, improving in terms of their actual performances, you know, I think their loan keeper has been a huge asset to them. And, you know, Willie Kirk kind of seems like a jerk, but he knows what he's doing. So yeah, that those statistical numbers were very strange to me. (laughs) I think some of it is just, you know, like some of it is 
that if you're going to give Brighton those two games, Brighton have also been improving. Reading have got odd odd points. I mean, in a way, our recent form is the worst probably of all of them. And so it's, you know, and we're playing a lot of the same teams. A lot of these teams are playing each other as well. So we're playing Brighton and Leicester, but they're all playing each other as well. So it feels to me more like a 20% chance at the moment if I was going to estimate it definitely too much to feel confident and yeah there are too few games which it in which we have to get points for to feel very confident because it feels like a lot of it's going to come down to those games so it does mean that the games against Reading and especially now the game against Brighton, which has been scheduled at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, is going to be absolutely massive. I mean, I think we were all relying on the simple fact that Leicester were just not doing well and Leicester were just not picking up points. And that was true until this weekend. So it felt like it was all right. But that simple fact of Leicester winning that one game has changed it all around again. And uh, it does feel... I mean. It's hard. I mean, I we shouldn't go down. There, you know, if you look at the squad and the team that we've got, there's no way that we should be going down. But we know that that does sometimes mean uh, nothing in these situations, and any team can go down. So it's I'm I, I'm I'm remaining hopeful, and I and I don't think we will go down. But we have to look at the reality of the situation, and I, none of the teams. Now that Leicester have picked up some points, none of the teams are consistent in any way, shape or form. So anything is possible at this point. Um, You know, we've seen that last weekend, Brighton went two up against Reading, who allegedly can't score. And then Reading came back to draw that game. So nobody is fitting with the form book at all at the moment, I don't think. Uh, And it's, it's there for anybody to take. You know, if Spurs can find that way to get some points then it wouldn't be hard, I don't think, for them to move away. But at the moment, the difficulty is we just don't know how they're going to achieve that. And from the way, you know, a few of them did come over to speak to us after the game. uh, And, you know, they just don't know how it is that they're going to start getting those points because, you know, they thought they'd done enough in this game and they hadn't. I do have to, to call out to those players who did come over to talk to the fans. There weren't that many. But Ash came over to talk to us and Roz came over to talk to us. Shalina was there and walked three quarters of the way towards us, waved at us and then went off down back inside, I think. But Roz did come all the way over to talk to us and did say thank you for coming. And, you know, and Beth England was talking to us and just sort of saying she didn't, you know, didn't know what was, you know, looking like, you know, she was perplexed by the situation. So great big up to the to those who did come and talk to us and did thank us for being there after that long journey um but you know it's it's anybody's it's anybody's guess now I think what's going to happen yeah I'll just I'll also note because I know when I was looking at the table after you know yesterday's matches I saw that Brighton two games in hand factor and was like oh god this is horrible but when you actually look at what those games are they play Everton uh, which I think is a home game and then also Ever- a home game against Arsenal. They've got Everton twice. They played Everton. Yes. So, so I mean, we, we, we just saw firsthand how tricky Everton can be. And I don't think they're realistically getting points against Arsenal either. So perhaps those games in hand will not end up being 
you know, as big of a factor as I initially feared. I think like what we saw was that Everton, you know, the fact that we so nearly got a result of some kind against Everton and we have not been playing well also suggests that maybe Everton is not the toughest opposition and they are playing, I think, most of the teams in the relegation fight. I don't know. They're playing like mostly they, the only relegation fight team they have left is Leicester on the last day. The rest of them are oh. all mid table or upper. No, I meant mm-hmm. Everton's playing everyone. Oh, so like oh, Everton's oh, going to decide. Sorry. I thought you were talking about the opposite. My bad. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Like Brighton, Brighton's only playing Leicester, but like they're playing Liverpool. They're playing Everton. So they're playing some of the teams in that sort of mid period, in that mid section that may or may not turn out to be good on the day. And I think you can imagine Brighton, especially if they get buoyed by being in cup competition, getting a lift out of play, you know, and being able to play and get a result against Everton. Yeah, and that is true. Um, but uh, but if like okay, so suppose that, that does happen. Suppose Brighton get like a few points out of that. I just had a look at Reading's schedule, and Reading have a terrible schedule. Reading have Everton, City, Villa, us, and then Chelsea on the last day. And oh, like City and Chelsea may be in a title and Champions League fight at that point. So those are going to be tough fixtures um Villa seems to always bring a game right uh and then we're going to be fighting over relegation so that's that's that is rough and so at this point I'm kind of getting where the three percent is coming from because you have Brighton with all these hard games and then you have Reading also with these hard games and it would have to be like both of them would have to do crazy things in order to get points out of those you know what I'm saying I'm not saying it's not going to happen because obviously anything can happen yeah, those are some. I think you're right about Reading. I think Reading is the one that I've been thinking for a while. They haven't had that significant boost. People keep on saying, "Oh, because Reading are always fighting and they always get over the hump," and so Reading have been there before. But that seems to be the only argument in favor of Reading because they haven't been playing that great. Right. Reading- the only in the new year, the only teams they've put up over one xg against have been west ham who don't have a great defense and brighton who (laughs) who basically concede like two xg to everyone they play so that's that is not great news for their attack i also feel like reading have been in a decline you know gradually so the you know the reading of two seasons ago is not the reading of now the reading of last season was not quite as good and the reading of this season has slipped again. I think they've been a team that have struggled to maintain their position. And there has been talk about Kelly Chambers and how successful she's been staying at the club and whether actually the club need to to look at that because the last couple of seasons have not been as successful. Uh, and yeah, with that, with that um, list of fixtures, I can uh, certainly say that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, I, I, not that I want, you know, nobody wants anybody to go down, but um it, that is a tough that is a tough end of season for them and you know if if they they fought back against Brighton but that's a different kettle of fish to Chelsea and City and yeah I mean I think it seems like they're starting to run out of steam it's really hard to maintain being that kind of scrappy team that hangs into games and you know pulls off a result somehow but I think from the Tottenham perspective I would just feel better if we had held on to that draw in this game like that would have been a huge point and hopefully we don't come to regret it the the bad part is that I don't think we're going to pick up too much momentum in our next fixture 
We're playing Aston Villa at Brisbane Road, so it is at home. But this game is not going to be until the 23rd because of the upcoming international break. Um, But as far as Villa's form goes, I mean, they've just really been on a tear since November. They've only had three losses in the WSL, and all of those came against top four teams. So they're getting their business done against the teams that they're supposed to. And their most recent game was a nil to three home loss to Chelsea. But before we play them, and even after the international break, they also have the FA Cup semifinal against Chelsea that they have to deal with. And, you know, with the the international break, you never know what the team's injury situation is going to be heading into the game. So hopefully that does not become a a negative factor. Um, How are we feeling about that matchup in general? Yeah, it's not going to be an easy one. I mean, hopefully, you know, the good news is two weeks in which the likes of Jess Naz, Kit Graham can get more game time. So if Jess it does get game time with England, then that's great competitive minutes for her will be good. Kit will have some more time on the training ground. The players who aren't going off on international duty get to work with Vicky a little bit more and to play. So, um, and, you know, the likelihood is Aston Villa are going to lose to Chelsea in that semi-final. So that will have a bearing. And if they don't, it's going to be a monumental effort for them to beat Chelsea. So they are going to be feeling that. Um, Having said that, you know, well, I mean, you look at the way we played against Aston Villa earlier on in the season, we weren't a million miles off, you know, uh, and I still think that, you know, we, we have the, we do have the capacity to be giving them a match, whether we have the confidence and the mindset to do that at the moment is the question. Um, uh, And it is going to be a really tough game. And I don't, I think, I have a nasty feeling you're right. It's not going to be where we start to build any kind of momentum, but we shouldn't go into it feeling like we can't because, you know, there are there are things that, you know, as I say, we, we didn't look that bad against them early on in the season. And yes, they've come on again a little bit since then. But we've well, we've got to go into every game fully believing we can get something out of it because we need to. I mean, we're scoring now. You know, we've been scoring in every game since Beth England arrived, mostly her. Not only, and obviously this game it was an assist. What we're not doing is keeping clean sheets, except in that one game against um, Leicester. And I guess there was the uh, FA Cup game where we neither scored nor, and but we did keep a clean sheet against Reading. But basically in the WSL, our issue has been defending. So Aston Villa, we know are good at scoring goals. They've got strikers, they've got midfielders, they've got people who know how to do that. And so a lot of it is going to be How are we going to set up to stop that? I'm hoping that, you know, we can consider them at least enough of a top three team that they do think that we do think about having three at the back, that we play a different kind of defence. I would feel very nervous if it was the back line that started this game, starting that game. I'm not sure that would work. And I would like to see us try something else, given that that is going to be the biggest challenge. I mean, obviously, still got to score the goals, but I kind of am more confident that we will do that. I mean, international break is a really good time to appoint a new manager. Yeah, maybe maybe let's just head into our uh, listener question that we had for this week. We only had one, but it's definitely one worth discussing. So Scott asked us, the fans seem content to wait for the summer, but given our situation and the four-way relegation battle, would you like to see a new manager appointed over the international break? Jepson has changed absolutely nothing. I mean, 
first of all, I just want to reject the notion that the fans are content to wait until the summer because I don't think that's really been the case at any point. Content is not the word. (laughs) No, absolutely not. We haven't been on this pod singing Jepson's praises, nor has anyone else on Twitter. I think that what's happening is not contentment. It's more like, like we have no idea who's available that would be good. Additionally, there was sort of like a cautious, like, let's wait and see after the Leicester game where we were like, maybe, maybe, maybe. Like, the Leicester game was also bad, even though we won. And so it was immediately clear when things did not get any better against Arsenal, like, nobody was content with this. Like, we do not like it. And I just want to reject the premise of that question. Uh, yeah, so no, I, I what, was that, what was the actual question in there? Obviously, I'm not happy with what's going on. Well, the question was just, would we like to see a new manager appointed over this international break? But I think you're right. It's not that we're content to leave Jepsen in place. It's more that we're resigned to the fact that it's going to be difficult to get someone in at this point. Um, Because as you said, we don't know who's available. We don't know who's going to want to take the risk of taking on a team that could face relegation and could easily be in the championship next season if things go wrong. And I mean, okay, so I guess my general answer to that question is just like three short words. Sure, but who? Yeah, I think it's that's the key thing, isn't it? Who wants to come into a club with five games to go um, when there is a real chance that they could be playing in the championship next season? You don't want a manager who only wants to come in for five games and would then walk away if we got relegated because nobody wants a manager who's not committed and that's not going to help anybody. If if you've got nothing else at the moment, I think you've got players who've got a manager that they like and um and have respect for. So that's that's a starting point. Having somebody who comes in and clearly isn't committed to the team and the club and the, the journey that we're on would not help. So you have to have a manager who is looking at it from a long-term perspective and the quality of manager who'd be willing to come in with the prospect of championship football next season is probably less than if there was definitely going to be Super League football next season. But also it comes back to who's available, apart from Hope Powell, who is available to to manage the women's team. Um, Realistic options are few and far between. Like we've said before, the American season is just getting going. So nobody from there is going to be looking to move. Although there are rumours that Casey Stoney is unhappy in America. But, you know, um, who knows whether that's just uh, rumours or true or and certainly whether Spurs would be uh, interested, whether Spurs would be an interesting project to her given her affiliations to two other clubs in the Super League. Uh, but who is available to come and, and do it? We don't, you know, it's not a, p- a point in the season where you could easily say those managers, there are there's one manager or a handful of managers that we could just go, yeah, that's they're going to be right. So we'll wait and see. I do wonder, though, whether it's not just about these games. It's also about decisions around which players you retain and what you do about recruitment going into the start of next season. And that's where I am perhaps more worried. And I, on the one hand, yes, I want a manager who is committed over the long term. But at the same time, would it be a disaster if we had like a, you know, if we had you know, the manager who comes in and is just committed for five games to try and rescue the team, if that gave the team the idea that this was an emergency and there was someone coming in to do that, because I don't think 
players at the moment are looking for long-term commitment. I think they are looking for emergency solutions. And so I don't think somebody coming in at the moment would be massively disruptive if they came in, if they specifically came in with the sort of, you know, we're coming in to rebuild, to make sense of what's going on, to support everything um, at the club. And, you know, even potentially to sort of do some of that director of football help to recruit a long term replacement if they aren't the long term replacement. Like I I'm willing to try other things if there are other things that are possible. And like we're all saying, we have no idea of who these people are or what kind of you know, what the club knows or any of those other things. But I do worry, for example, about how player retention is going to be addressed if the decisions that we see in terms of who starts, who doesn't get minutes is replicated in how players are prioritised in terms of contract negotiations. And that would make me really disappointed. The contract negotiation thing does worry me because, as we know, there are, as always in the women's game, quite a few players out of contract at the end of the season. And who's doing those negotiations? Is anybody really worried about those negotiations at the moment? And are the, what are the players going to be thinking if they don't know what the situation is going to be next season? Um, so it does really worry me, that side of things. I, I, I think, though, the club is, in the way that the, in the, way that the powers that be, uh, that be, the powers that be at the club were in favour of Rianne and didn't want to um, stop that that journey that we were on. I think they similarly have faith in Vicky and want want to believe in her and wants her to to do well. And I mean, we all want her to do well. Um, so I do I do struggle to see the club making that that move. I mean, and it's a risky whichever way you go, it's a risky move because if you get it wrong then you know then you've got it wrong and you go down um if you don't do anything and you go down then you'll get criticism as well so either way you know if you, if you get it wrong it's risky so and i'm not sure the club have the appetite for trying something new at this point do do they have faith in vicky though because i i just keep getting stuck on that wording of the initial announcement where all they said was that she'd be in charge for the next game and the club was putting stuff out about how they might want to have someone new in charge ahead of the Arsenal game, which they obviously didn't. And then but they did, they they haven't though, have they? So they they no, said they haven't. But by now like we have the international break. Like you know, it seems like like my take on it was that they tried to get someone and failed, and that was why then ahead of the Arsenal game they were putting stuff out like, oh yeah, like Jepson wants to like solidify her uh, position as head coach like in this game. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm confused about what they're doing, but I don't know, like the language they've used. I just like, it's unclear to me whether they have a plan or not and whether that plan like didn't work out or something. I don't know. What, what I've heard from around the club is that it seems to be that they have faith in Vicky and I don't think they want to push her unless they absolutely have to. Um, I don't know what that would be. That would mean they would absolutely have to, but my my sense is that they're quite loyal, um, as they were to Rianne to Vicky, uh, and that they that they're working quite hard with her to to do everything that they can. Um, I understand that there are lots of meetings going on till all sorts of times of the night to try and sort the situation, and so I I get the sense that there is a there is a desire to keep Vicky there. Um, that 
the wording of the announcement you know who knows who writes that and um, but I think the powers that be would like Vicky to stay and would like to see her succeed well I don't know what concerns me more like the possibility that there isn't a long-term plan or the possibility that Vicky is the long-term plan because from my perspective I just don't think she's going to cut it you know we've not seen anything really innovative from her um to spark a turnaround in the team since Rianne left. So it's, it's just a tough situation. And it kind of seems like, you know, it would be nice if there was sort of a women's football equivalent of Sean Dyche to come in and, you know, rescue these last few games, but that just doesn't exist. So we are where we are. What I will say to end on a positive note is the one thing that I wonder whether would look up under Vicky in the long term is some of those recruitment holes around not having passers in the squad and like passing on players who would have built a good squad for like questionable reasons. Like, cause that was one of my main issues with Rianne and like why I would have wanted to see her go. And like, that is something that we simply just won't know until the summer. So I'll hang my hat on that for some hope. I'm glad you could end us on some hope because I think it was a little downbeat this week. But thank you guys, as always, for listening to our podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter at N17Women. Come on, you Spurs.